Atlas shrugged, more like a can shrugged. Einar's ghost is probably gonna come murder me after this podcast episode because I've besmirched the name of capitalism. Greetings and welcome to Skylanders Portalcasters, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything Skylanders. I am your host, Inklander, and I am joined today by my co-host, GF Ditto. And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing capitalism, paywalls, and Skylanders. So Ditto, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. So uh, this episode, I guess, is going to kind of start off a little bit more with the theoretical and exactly kind of some of the concerns with capitalism, because, you know, of course, while capitalism is the economic system that we use and it's very much a full part of Western culture, it definitely has a lot of underlying issues that can be uh, especially problematic, especially when it comes to, you know, consumer products and just, you know, the ways that people tend to view businesses. So let's go ahead and start off with the Merriam-Webster definition of capitalism. So capitalism is defined as an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision, and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market. So all in all, you know, we typically tend to view capitalism as a really good thing. And, you know, here this definitely kind of sounds like a fairly good definition, right? So, you know, we have a free market, we have laissez-faire kind of economics, we have distribution of goods, we have a lot of different ways to be able to buy a product. You know, we have a lot of different choices from a lot of different companies. So overall, it seems to be like a good thing, right? And it seems to be a way of furthering uh, an individual's kind of personal growth, whether as a consumer to be able to have access to a lot of different products, or as a uh, person that's part of a company uh, trying to, you know, make a profit, trying to make a name for themselves. So overall, that does kind of seem like a decent thing. However, capitalism does have a lot of underlying issues. Now, not not everything about capitalism is bad. Like, for instance, you know, um, one good thing about capitalism is that it does help to maybe encourage people to be able to create some more innovation, right? Like, if they are uh, motivated by a profit, they're more likely to maybe try to create something new. But also at the same time, you know, you might be able to see something like that in a society that's created kind of based around care ethics. Because, you know, while yes, they might not be motivated financially, they'd be motivated to be able to help others and be able to have a kind of job that they really care about and something they're really passionate about. They might try to further that interest anyway. But still, the argument could be made that money as a financial incentive might be able to fuel innovation. Now, another really good thing about uh, capitalism happens to be that, you know, this is the best system right now. Like, other economic systems have been tried in the past, and for various different reasons, they've not functioned as well as capitalism. The other thing is that it brings people together with globalization, right? Capitalism and having a capitalistic system kind of help create a free market in uh, westernized countries definitely helps people to be able to buy and sell products and get products a lot more easily. And it also even helps the spread of ideas a lot more because of globalization. So pretty much 
capitalism is a good thing in that way because it helps to kind of influence the spread of goods and spread of information. Now, that can also be a bad thing, and that's kind of where we kind of go into some of the downsides of capitalism. Globalization, while that's definitely hand-in-hand -hand with capitalism, it can also be a bad thing because it can kind of take away the individuality of one particular area's culture. Like, for instance, you know, you have a lot of different companies that now are present in tons of different areas around the entire globe, like, for instance, McDonald's, right? And you see McDonald's kind of... Uh, dominating the market in a lot of different places and that kind of takes away from uh, local restaurants and local businesses and it kind of destroys uh, local food culture in a lot of ways and you can kind of see that with tons of other companies as well where you have very prominent name brands existing in every single country that kind of takes away from kind of the individual culture of the area so while globalization is good because it helps spread ideas helps spread knowledge helps spread awareness of other cultures and that's tied to capitalism and how that all functions at the same time, it can kind of be bad because it's kind of creating this overall global culture as opposed to kind of accepting and loving the nuances of individual regions, kind of ideas and cultures. So that's definitely a bad thing. But then another really bad thing about capitalism is that it's kind of based around this whole idea of individualism, right? It's this idea that we should be every person for themselves and that money is kind of the ultimate goal of life. That's kind of the way that it's kind of framed. And that's not really good because at the end of the day, like care ethics should be more valued a lot more than they are, but instead they're kind of viewed as something that can really only solely exist in the private sector. And that's kind of weird when, you know, when you think about it like an individual exists and your own individual opinions and your own individual thoughts exist because of your own culture and because of the other people around you so yes you know you are able to kind of be an outlier to your own culture you know you're able to have differing opinions you're able to create subculture groups but also at the same time a lot of your beliefs like your likes and dislikes are based around something that's cultural for instance my favorite movie is back to the future but what if back to the future didn't exist you know, then my favorite movie would be something else. So that's kind of the idea of like, capitalism is all about like the individual and supporting the individual, but at the same time, none of us would really exist the way that we view ourselves as existing if it weren't for the people that helped us along the way or the people that influenced our decisions. So it's kind of an interesting way of looking at things in that, you know, capitalism is kind of really about individualism, but even capitalism itself is functioning in a society where people have to work together for capitalism to even function. Now, another big problem with the capitalistic system is this idea of social capital, where people try to maybe interact in a certain way to be able to get them more attention or to be able to kind of create this inequality among individuals. You can even see this on something like Twitch, right? Where uh, Twitch has social capital in terms of streamers shouting out individuals and talking to them in chat. And the way that you're able to do that is by using digital currency and, you know, gift subscriptions, you know, bits, being able to get emotes. And by doing things like that, you know, the more money you spend, the more emotes you spam, the more kind of social capital you gain with the streamer because they're going to recognize you more. But also at the same time, it's kind of like a bragging rights kind of thing. You're able to be like, hey, look at this. I just gifted X amount of subscriptions. And, you know, definitely while some people might view that as, you know, a generosity kind of thing, at the same time, no matter what, you are still gaining social capital anyway. This is something that you are using to kind of create a new position for yourself. 
while still creating and exaggerating the idea of inequality in a particular system. Another really big problem with capitalism is that companies are oftentimes, especially now, allowed to go way beyond where capitalism should be capped. Like, for instance, we see companies copywriting things that really shouldn't be copyrighted. Like, we see, you know, patents on corn. We, we, we see copyrights on things that are, like, pop culture references, like Taylor Swift going and copywriting, like, haters gonna hate. It's really weird. Like, the things that are getting copywritten really kind of shouldn't be copywritten. Like, yes, Monsanto has engineered a particular kind of corn, but still, like, it's kind of kind of weird to think that, you know, genetics are being patented. The other big problem is monopolies, you know? Monopolies are starting to become a kind of big issue. And yeah, while there's technically a system of checks and balances in place, it's not really a very good one. Like, we've just seen recently in the past, you know, couple years, Disney get 20th Century Fox, and we've also seen another big company, T-Mobile, taking over Sprint. And so, not trying to go into, uh, you know, all the details as to, you know, how these things are getting passed, but really they shouldn't be because these companies are now getting, you know, well over, you know, a decent amount of the market and, you know, they're still being able to buy up more and more companies. And that's really bad for the consumer because the whole idea behind capitalism is that there's supposed to be tons of different variety of products in the market. And yet here we are, you know, with Disney owning tons of different stuff, ESPN and Marvel and so on and so forth. And it's just really kind of not a good thing for consumers. But the biggest thing that we're going to be talking about in this episode is that companies like to cut corners despite whatever cost to pretty much consumers or to their blue collar employees. So for example, you know, blue collar employees, the ones that are doing all the uh, like hard labor tasks, we've still not seen a minimum wage increase in quite a while, like it's still 725. And that's definitely not anywhere close to the standard of living. So so there companies are already liking to do that. And in places where they can't, they are outsourcing. And furthermore, they like to cut corners wherever possible when it comes to the production of any of their products, whether it's coming up with a cheaper material or by sending out products unfinished. Just various different things like that. Like for instance, you know, food coloring. Artificial food coloring's approved by the FDA, but it's actually been recently found to not be safe. It's actually a carcinogen. And yet companies are still using it because using something artificial is way cheaper than actually using berries, for example, to color something when it said, oh yeah, we could just throw in red 40. The same thing can be said about the meat production industry, but the thing is, is it just, it goes beyond food. The thing is, is companies like to cut corners wherever, no matter what it is, whether it's in furniture production or yes, and this is where we kind of roll into Skylanders here, kind of shipping incomplete games or shipping incomplete products. And we see this with not just Skylanders, we actually see this with tons of different companies. EA is actually a really good example of that. Like for instance, EA has loot boxes. They love using that. They love doing shipping incomplete games and then adding in tons of DLC later. And they think that they're able to get away with that. And then we also see companies like Ubisoft selling season passes. All of these companies now are starting to add in this idea of, oh, we'll just monetize things here. We'll add gotcha mechanics here. Even Nintendo now is starting to fall victim to that too, like with their uh, release of the Super Mario 3D All-Stars, right? That game and a lot of other Mario release stuff is now being taken away and stopping production on March 31st. And the reason for it is because they're trying to get consumers to feel like they have to buy it now. It's that fear of missing out, that FOMO, right? And furthermore, 
whenever it comes to shipping incomplete games and adding in tons of DLC like we see EA doing, and when it comes to adding in loot boxes, which Activision Blizzard has done way before Skylanders anyway. We've seen them do it with uh, Heroes of the Storm, with characters and with different skins and add-ons and mounts. We've seen them do it with Hearthstone, which, you know, there's already been some controversy uh, pertaining to things with Hong Kong when it comes to Hearthstone and Activision Blizzard. Uh, there's just been tons of different things that these companies do, and they all kind of bring it down to this one idea, which is, oh, they'll just pay for it anyway. Nintendo knows that people are going to be buying Super Mario 3D All-Stars anyway, because they just are. You know, they're big fans of Mario. They uh, really want to have as many Mario games as possible on Switch, whatever it is. Nintendo knows that they can put out a less than quality product in order to just have consumers buy it anyway. And that's really kind of one of the main issues with capitalism is that, especially when it comes to any entertainment media, they'll put out films that have plot threads not finished so they can just pick them up in later films. They'll just have tons of other different things that happen. And that's kind of the main issue that pulls us into talking about Skylanders paywalls is that, yeah, capitalism can do some good things, and capitalism can definitely do some bad things, but when it comes to entertainment media, this idea of, oh, we can just ship incomplete games, this idea that we can just, you know, add in loot boxes and people are just going to buy it anyway, uh, despite, you know, having tons of quality problems because they are fans or collectors or whatever, is just not okay. And it's not really good to try to cheap consumers out that way. And sadly, Skylanders happens to be one of the prime examples of where Activision Blizzard does this and just in the video game industry in general because Skylanders themselves and the level pieces and the trophies and everything are in fact just physical DLC. So Ditto, why don't you go ahead and kind of detail exactly what these paywalls look like and, you know, how basically incomplete the Skylanders games are by, you know, Activision trying to make the toys actual physical DLC or loot boxes, if you will, in some cases, for the Skylanders games. So as you pointed out, Activision in the case of Skylanders was just like EA in the whole shipping out of incomplete games. The primary paywall for any Skylanders game is the Skylanders themselves, and each individual game in the series added to those paywalls. Beginning with Spyro's Adventure, there was the simple paywall of there are 32 characters available in the game. In order to enjoy everything the game has to offer, you had to purchase a minimum of 8 characters, one Skylander of each element. That's not including the remaining 24 characters for the heroic challenges that is just to experience the story up to 100 percent and the adventure packs that added four individual levels to the base game which could have been included in the base game as well as all of the characters but they chose to tack those on as an afterthought and this created a paywall not just for accessing all the content in the base game but also for collecting all of those adventure packs so you could experience everything the game had to offer. And if you truly wanted to experience everything Spyro's Adventure had to offer, you had to purchase the game, four adventure packs, and 32 individual characters so you could take on all the heroic challenges. Then we move on to Giants, where the paywalls didn't increase that much. Giants is probably the only game where they did not increase the paywalls by more than one figure. In order to experience 100% of the main storyline of the game for Giants, 
you needed to purchase one Skylander of each element and one giant figure. Oftentimes, if you bought the starter pack and you already had played Spyro's Adventure to completion, that was enough to get you there. However, once again, what the heroic challenge is, there were more characters that you needed to buy in order to truly experience everything the game has to offer. At least in the case of Giants, there were no additional level packs to expand upon the base game itself, but the paywalls once again lied within the characters. Then we saw Skylander's Swap Force, where we see the first substantial paywall increase. The basics of the basics that you need to experience 100% of what this game has to offer are a Skylander of each element, which if you're a veteran player, you already theoretically have this, but you also need at least one swappable Skylander of every movement type. So that's an additional eight swappable Skylanders that you need to purchase in order to experience everything in the game. Swap Force did include two expansion packs, two adventure packs, that unlocked new levels, and also the game did include giant chests, which, as with Skylanders Giants, you did need a giant to unlock these. Swap Force also included the dual element gates, which, well, most would immediately assume you need a, sw a swappable of each element as well as of each movement type. They did at least offer the option of hooking up a second controller and just placing a second Skylander of that alternate element so you could bypass, technically, that paywall. Speaking on elemental gates, we move forward to Skylander's Trap Team, which added the largest number of paywalls we had seen yet in the series, and would see in the series. Skylander's Trap Team shifted the elemental gates so that a Skylander of each element is no longer enough. You specifically needed a Trap Master of each element. So if you were a veteran of the series, anytime you would see a new elemental gate in a new game, you could just bring in a character from a previous game that matched that element and you could open the gate. In Trap Team, this was no more. You had to purchase the new, bigger Trap Master figures, which I believe were 50% more expensive than the core figures in order to open those gates. This game also had four adventure packs tacked on, as well as the requirement of needing one trap of every element, so that you could trap every villain in the game. And that's a minimum of 11 different traps required in order to experience everything the game has to offer. 11 different elements, and each of those traps went for 6 or $7 a piece. There was the decision of the developers when it came to the villains in these traps that the villains would have a timer instead of an, a hit point gauge, because it would cause the player to essentially need more traps in order to spend more time as villains. Yeah, not only that, but the traps also require you to have to keep switching back to your Skylander, which would then encourage you to go buy a Skylander as opposed to a trap, because the Skylander you can play as constantly, while with the trap you have just a set amount of time. Then we move on to Superchargers, where the formula kind of changed, but the paywalls didn't. In Superchargers, the paywalls took the forms of vehicles and Supercharger Skylanders. Well, previous Skylanders were able to be played and to go on the adventure throughout the story. Only a Supercharger could modify a vehicle, and vehicles were required in order to accomplish anything. You needed a land vehicle in the portal just to play through the storyline alone with no optional content. 
if you wanted to 100% the game, you needed vehicles of the land, sea, and sky types. But if you wanted to experience everything the game had to offer, the elemental gates in Skylander Superchargers were turned into vehicle gates. So you actually needed one vehicle of every element, as opposed to one Skylander of every element. And you needed to have at least one Supercharger Skylander in order to modify the vehicles the way you wanted them to be. With the addition of the racing side mode, it included trophies to unlock additional race courses and villains that were playable as drivers. You could not use the traps with villains that you brought forward from Trap Team. If you wanted to play as a villain, you needed to buy these trophies, as well as needing the trophies to unlock the extra stages. And if you truly wanted to partake in everything that Superchargers had to offer, you needed one of every vehicle and one of every Supercharger Skylander in order to participate in Superchargers' version of the Heroic Challenges being the Supercharger Challenges. And that brings us to the last installment in the series, as of this recording, Skylanders Imaginators, where we saw about the same amount of paywalls as was present in Skylanders Trap Team. In Skylanders Imaginators, it requires one Sensei of each battle class and one Creation Crystal of each battle class and element in order to experience everything in the base game. And on top of that, there are 100 possible element and battle class combos for these creation crystals. But Activision made the decision that the creation crystals could not be reset like any other Skylander out there. So in order to achieve all 100 possible combinations, you needed to go out and buy 100 creation crystals, 10 of each element, if that was your goal. This is not required to experience everything the game has to offer, but it was a steep paywall. Adding on to that, in order to unlock all of the special battle class abilities for your Imaginators, you needed at least one Sensei of each battle class. And if you wanted to max out the level cap for your Imaginator figures, for your Creation Crystal Imaginators, it required you to purchase every Sensei figure that was released. Yeah, including variants. And then, as the cherry on top, they made the decision to release, in blind packages, the bronze, silver, and gold chests that would unlock just a few pieces of Imaginite. As well as, in the in-game shop, the platinum chests. None of these were required in order to experience everything the game had to offer, but those who had been collecting and were looking to maintain a collection of everything that became available for the Skylander series had to go out and search out these chests as well. So the amount of paywalls found in this series is actually staggering when you think about it. It really is, yeah. And so that kind of brings the description of capitalism and the explanation of these paywalls to a head here. When it comes to one of the major problems with capitalism, especially when it comes to, you know, companies choosing to cut corners and release incomplete products, especially in the video game industry, Skylanders is sadly a very good example of that. Absolutely. It's a very good example of prioritizing profit over everything else. 
Yes, yes it is. And and we see other companies doing this. EA's been doing it for a while. Activision Blizzard themselves have been doing it for a while. And even Nintendo now is kind of doing this to an extent. They're stopping production of everything Mario-related, basically, on March 31st next year, at the end of their fiscal year, to be able to make sure they've capitalized on all their profits. And that, in a way, is also kind of, you know, pretty shady, where it's them kind of trying to find a way to cut corners to basically maximize their profits as quickly as possible. And at the same time, these are those same companies that are insisting that they can't pay employees anything more than the basic minimum wage, but are raising the prices on all their goods because, as I stated a few moments ago, prioritizing profits over all else. And that is one of the major flaws with capitalism. Yeah, that's one of the major issues with big business, is that if a business can cut a corner, they're going to cut a corner. And that's exactly kind of what we see happening here. Now, I mean, there are kind of things that you might want to take into consideration where it's like, well, the price of video games technically hasn't increased, really, until now the PS5 now making games $70 instead of 60 But really, when you factor in, you know, the price of games, it hasn't really increased in the past, like, 20-ish years. It makes sense that they would want to find another way to capitalize on it with inflation happening. But also, at the same time, I would much rather companies just increase the price of games by 20 or 30 bucks as opposed to them feeling like they have to ship incomplete games and then releasing you know $10 DLC packs here or you know loot boxes where you can get different you know character alts here it'd be way better if they just didn't spend their time trying to find ways of basically you know enabling gambling techniques into their games and just send out a fully complete game for a you know, higher price. For example, Skylanders, when it came out, the starter packs were, what, 70 or $80? I would have gladly paid 120 for just the disc with all the characters included in the content. And that might be uh, roughly the direction we see them going in the future, where they decide to not do a physical release for a future Skylanders game. But at the same time, they're probably going to do it in the loot box route. Where it's like, okay, well, we'll give you, you know, five characters for free, but the rest, you know, you have to get this digital currency for, which you can either, like, grind out by playing hours and hours and hours of the game, or you can just buy it with real currency and then get Skylanders that way, which is, you know, ridiculous. Similar to what they tried to do with the Imaginite chests. Yes, exactly. And, you know, that is one of the really problematic things that I was surprised to actually see Skylanders do, because one of the things that I actually think they did pro-consumer by going this route was by having not blind bags for so long. You would go to the store and you would see that's the character I want. You'd pick it up, you'd buy it. Whereas if you look at a company like Wizards of the Coast or Pokemon, you know, let's take a look at things like TCGs, there, they are giving you a blind bag, basically, of, you know, 10 different cards and an energy, where you have no idea what you're going to get. You have a rough idea, because it's part of, you know, a particular set of, you know, 250 cards or whatever it is. And each pack is designated to have a certain number of commons, uncommons, and rare cards in it. Right, so, but they take that opportunity to be able to say, all right, well, this person's probably going to, you know, want to buy tons of different packs because they're going to be fishing for that one particular card that they want. Meanwhile, with 
Skylanders, what they did was they were just like, yeah, let's produce X amount of chase variants, send them around to different stores across the country, and then there you go. So then the way that they rather capitalize instead of having this loot box mechanic is like people go around searching for these variants and chase variants uh, at the different stores, and when they don't end up finding it, they're like, well... I couldn't find the chase variant, but they have this one Skylander here that I don't have yet, so I'll buy that one and then keep searching for the chase variant. So that was kind of a nicer, more friendly way of trying to capitalize on this paid DLC route or this kind of selling, you know, physical DLC, if you will, where they decided to not make these Skylanders blind bags. They definitely could have, which would have been a nightmare, but they decided to sell them as physical toys, like as action figures, which is definitely very much appreciated. But then when you get to Imaginators and you have the Imaginite chest, it's like, whoa, did they really feel they needed to do it that much to where, like, now is the time that they decide to throw in the loot boxes? Like, almost literally? Call them Imaginite chests, they, they are literally physical loot boxes. One other thing that I find really interesting that Activision chose to do, at least for the first five games, they did change this, I believe, in the last game, but they would create artificial rarity with how they chose to distribute different figures to the stores. So yes, while they weren't blind bags, and that's definitely a positive, what they would do is they would have like a wave one shipment. It would be a box of like 12, for instance, and they would have one or two characters in that that would have four figures. And then they'd have one character that would have like three figures. And then they'd have another character that would have one figure. And so that would create this kind of artificial rarity where every store would get tons and tons of one particular character. But then there'd be, you know, this one per store kind of mentality that would get people running around to all the other stores again, in order to be able to kind of facilitate Skylanders hunting, where people would try to, you know, go to stores, try to find these chase variants, try to find these uh, more rare characters, and then uh, happen to find other characters so they don't have and buy those along the way. So while it is kind of a good thing, they also did try to create this artificial rarity with how they were shipping the characters to the stores, which is also not really a good thing there. And then quantities also varied depending on where you were. So, like, Wave 4, Wave 5 characters, whereas the East Coast seemed to only be getting one, maybe two per store. Out in the West Coast, especially in California, stores were getting them by the case. I walked into the Toys R Us on the release date of both Cursed Tiki Temple and Lost Imaginite Mines. I walked up to one of the sales associates at the Toys R Us and said, hey, do you have Cursed Tiki Temple or Lost Imaginite Mines? They pop open a case. They've got two or three more cases right underneath it. They pop open a case of four and say, yeah, how many you want? So that was another thing. And I feel like maybe not always uh, some of their distribution errors were intentionally done to kind of create rarity. Like, I definitely think that's the case with Nintendo and Amiibo. They definitely are trying to create an artificial rarity there. Nintendo only sends out, like, maybe three or four of each figure to each store. So... Mm -hmm. If you aren't there on the day it comes out, and if you aren't, like, one of the first people in the store, like, there's going to be someone there that, like, buys two or three. Artificial rarity is really stupid, because, mm -hmm. like, it's like, why? You're just preventing people from, like, giving you money. Just like those people on eBay who slap the term rare on every Skylander they put up. You just slap that there so you could tack on $10 to the price. Yeah, it's stupid really it, it's really really not a good move because it's like if people want a product they should be able to get the product but like with the case of some things like the yawn traps 
for example, that were only released in Australia. Like, I don't think they intended that to happen. I think what probably happened was a lot of stores chose to not order more traps because they had plenty in stock. That wasn't the fault of Activision, and at the same time it was, because they overflooded the market with figures, so people stopped buying them. Right, and so then stores didn't want to carry the rest of what people wanted. You know, they didn't want to carry everything that the game had to offer because Activision just created too much stuff. So in a way, you know, the non-release or the really small release of Yawn Traps was not Activision's fault, but also in a way it kind of was Activision's fault. It was entirely their fault, but indirectly. Yeah. So, all because they tried to, you know, flood the market, there was too much supply, not enough demand, and it just kind of didn't work out too well for them it's in basic that economics. Yeah, and, you know, I guess because the sales for Swap First were so good, they expected the sales for Trap Team to be so much better, but yet again, paywalls. Yeah, if they didn't have so many paywalls, I'm sure they would have been, actually. Yeah, I'm sure they probably would have sold a lot better. And there's the side of capitalism we really didn't touch on this episode, which is the scalpers. I saw one uh, one person who uh, somehow their TikTok made its way to Twitter, and this chick had bought 10 PS5s. Even if you keep one in box, you get one for the kids, you get one for yourself, and you get one to hack, that's only four. Why the hell would anybody need 10 PlayStation 5s? And even then... Even then, PlayStation 5s are going to be available for years to come. And then they turn around and sell them for double price or more. Capitalism at its finest. And we we know that this is something that Activision intended. They didn't choose to add in these elemental gates or anything like that because they felt like it would expand the world a little bit more. They chose to add it in, and we know this from the developer interviews, they chose to add it in because they wanted to make money off of it. Like, there's one of the Toys for Bob employees in there where, uh, you know, he has some sort of quote along the lines of, Mom, can we go to the store? And so it's very much intentionally planted in there to where, you know, they want you to have to go buy figures. And then once the series had already been off the ground, and they knew that most of the longtime fans already had the eight elements, what do they do? add in the trap master gates to where you have to have a trap master of that element so then it requires you to instead of using your previous collection you have to go out and buy one of each element all over again just to be able to do the same content that you had before in all the previous games and then you know as Ditto said you had to have 11 different traps they kept adding on more and more and more superchargers you know it if you wanted to have access to all the content, you literally needed to have everything in the game minus the variants uh, in order to be able to do the supercharged challenges, in order to be able to unlock, you know, the racing. And the one of the biggest, like, just gripes that I have is when you take a look at the villains, right? Originally, you had access to all the villains if you bought those 11 traps. But then when you get to superchargers, as Ditto mentioned, you know, now they're locked behind the trophies. So you have to buy them a second time. And then... When you get to Imaginators, you can race as the villains in the racing, but you still can't use your traps the way they were originally intended. And you can't, you know, use the ones that are locked in the trophy in the main experience. You have to buy the villain figures. So they literally make you buy the villains three different times in three different ways. And that's just not okay. And then, as I stated, and as we've talked about before, the decision to make the choosing of a battle class for the Creation Crystals a final decision, that was purely rooted in the desire for profits. Because... If a player wanted to experience every battle class in every element, every combination possible, that would require them to go out and find 10 creation crystals of each element. 
And when these were released, these creation crystals were going for the same price as a core Skylander previously had been going for. They were $10 a piece. So if you wanted that 100 creation crystals, you were looking at $1,000 just on Imaginators alone, not including any of the senseis you would need to raise the level cap for the Imaginators. And on top of that, they had, what, five different adventure packs? They added in adventure packs, too. They, they originally had three, and then they decided to patch in two more. You, we, we say that the, uh, you know, trap master gates are bad, the ones where you have to have a trap master. But in Imaginators, you have the Sensei Realms. Not, not is it just a little side area that's locked behind a wall. Now you have whole entire levels that are locked behind a wall that you can't just use a Fire Skylander to unlock it. You have to have a Fire element sensei it kept getting worse and worse as the series went on like that really kind of highlights why you know yes superchargers was kind of sort of the downfall of the franchise and that you know it had vehicles and a lot of people weren't really interested in the vehicles and a lot of people just didn't really like kind of the whole package that superchargers gave you but really the sales started to decline with trap team and the reason for that has to be because people were just tired of all the paywalls and there was just a lot of supply and not enough demand for the game. And that kind of started just the downfall where parents no longer wanted to keep buying, you know, $1,200 worth of figures every single year. And then when you get to superchargers and the gameplay to a lot of people is already kind of boring or just not as great as some of the other games, then it's like, well, great. Now you have all these paywalls and you also have, a, you know, kind of a mediocre game. Trap Team was where it started, where the amount of paywalls increased and the sales declined. And then Activision decided to follow that by basically making it so that if you didn't buy every figure that came out with the game in the, the final two games, you didn't get to enjoy everything the game had to offer. It was literally, you buy everything or you're missing out. Because, you know, if you didn't buy one of the senseis, it's like, all right, well, maybe you're missing out on an elemental realm or a secret technique, or, you know, you're missing, you're definitely missing out on the level cap. But the thing is, that's also really bad is, you know, companies know that people will buy it anyway, because especially by the time we get to the fifth or sixth game, you know, there are a lot of hardcore Skylanders collectors, including you and me. And it's this kind of mentality where it's like, oh, well, it doesn't matter. You know, we could just do whatever we want. And we know that we're going to have those hardcore fans that are going to buy every single thing anyway. And that's a bad, uh, you know, kind of view for companies to have because it's like, well, we can just start cutting corners on our products even more. We can start adding in more and more paywalls because we know that people will just shrug it off and be like, well that's okay, I'm a fan, or I'm a collector, or, you know, even just like, maybe the company will fix it later. Maybe the company will add a patch. And the thing is, is like, like, for one, the company shouldn't have that mentality. And then also, you know, we shouldn't have that mentality either. <laughs> because that just encourages the companies even more to do it worse. <laughs> and I feel like, honestly, especially in the case of video games like this one, the, the mentality behind collecting them all actually started nearly 15 years prior to Skylanders launching. With and Pokemon. Pokemon is also currently having its own issues where, you know, they put out a game for full price 
called Pokemon Sword and Shield, and they give you like half the content you usually get when the game is usually 40 bucks. Pokemon kind of paved the way for it, I would say, just with their original catchphrase alone. Gotta catch them all. That kind of ingrained the younger people of that generation with the the idea that, you know, you have to collect them all. And Skylanders kind of, kind of leaned into that as well. Yeah, it definitely did. It definitely did. I feel like as somebody who has experienced the collection side of both of these as well, it's definitely, one definitely paved the way for the other, and they kind of just go hand in hand. Yeah, they really do. It's just one of those things where um, I, I believe even on the uh, Skylanders Giants poster, I think it says collect them all on it. I would not be surprised. I have seen that phrase, collect them all, on an innumerable amount of places. And because I grew up with the catchphrase of gotta catch them all, I never really realized how unnatural it is to actually see it as often as you do. I mean, you see that everywhere. Like, you see it with, like, Happy Meal toys. <laughs> you know, collect all six or whatever. Capitalism is trying to feed into that mentality where it's like, yeah, like, we're giving you part of something and we want you to pay for all of it. And it's just, it's not okay, really. We see it in every industry. You know, we even see this in the movie theater where, you know, for instance, the most recent Star Wars trilogy, where instead of giving you a good self-contained story, they intentionally left plot threads hanging open to where you would have to keep coming back to watch each installment. Whereas beforehand, if you produce sequels, 20, 30 years ago, they wouldn't do that. They would give you a nice self-contained story, and then if they did a sequel, they'd give you another nice self-contained story in that one, while, you know, just continuing on in the same setting with the same characters. Like, this is uh, not just a problem in the video game industry, this is a problem with capitalism. And similar to what Star Wars did, we see the same thing once again back in the video game industry with the Kingdom Hearts franchise where there are nine different games, ten different games now, and four or five of those games have, like, ten minutes worth of actual plot development. But you had to buy a full-priced game in order to get that. People want to buy a product and then feel satisfied with the product. Yes. And companies are now relying on the mentality of, oh, well, if we just give them, like, a little bit of a morsel instead of the whole thing, then they'll just keep coming back for smaller morsels later until they eventually get the whole pie. Instead of just making a good, solid story and then making another sequel good, solid, individual story with the hopes that that'll bring us back, they are intentionally leaving out plot threads and plot details to bring us back instead. And that's just a really cheap way of doing things, as opposed to just making a good story and then hoping that we'll come back for another good story. I'd like to point out one example in the video gaming industry of this, especially one relevant to the current year. And that example is the Final Fantasy VII Remake, where currently the original version of Final Fantasy VII, the entire three-disc game, is available for download on most consoles for either $9.99 or slightly touched up for $21.99. This year, Square Enix put out the Final Fantasy VII Remake, which covers the majority of the content from the first disc of the original game for the full price of $60. And then they've stated that they're going to continue to put out more of the story. They haven't detailed how many installments. My guess would be three or four, each at a $60 price point, though. Or, since that was 
on the PlayStation 4, and they're definitely going to want to capitalize on the newer console, the PlayStation 5, now that it's been released, it's going to be at $70 per installment. Say they put it out in three games, because three discs, three games, three parts, at $70 a piece. Or you could own the original story, the entire original story for $21. But because they touched up the graphics and the gameplay a little bit, or in this case, a lot, you're looking at literally 10 times the price at $210 for the story, and that's if they only split it into three parts. That's definitely a major problem. It's just, you know, companies choosing to, you know, add in loot boxes or, you know, choosing to just cut corners in ways to where you know, they aren't delivering a solid final product because they know that someone is going to buy it. I've mentioned Nintendo with the Mario stuff, but another place where you can see Nintendo doing it is with Joy-Con Drift. You know, they have tons of class action lawsuits going on right now, and that's just bad. Nintendo has, like, kind of sort of recognized it's a problem, but they, like, kind of also can't because they're dealing with the class action lawsuit, and, like, they're allowing repairs for it, and it's free, but also at the same time they haven't put out a fix to the Joy-Con that are being sold with the Switch or separately from the Switch to permanently fix the issue. And on top of that, during this whole thing where Joy-Con Drift has been a massive thing, they launched the Switch Lite which also suffers from Joy-Con drift, because they right. didn't fix it. What happens if your Switch Lite starts to drift? Well, then you have to send in your Switch Lite, your entire console. Basically, what they do is they just give you a new one, and they've transferred all your save data over. I don't know, you feel at that point they would just go in and internally fix the issue, but they're just like, yeah, no, like, it's not that big of a deal. And they're also probably banking on the fact that some people are just not going to send their Joy-Con in. That they'll just go buy more anyway. Or they'll just, you know, not care. They'll just suffer through it. Because, you know, they're just going to be like, yeah, well, most people aren't going to find it to be that big of a deal to go to the effort to send it in to, you know, uh, be Prepared. And that's so depressing when it comes to a company that, like, I have a Game Boy, an original Game Boy, sitting on my desk, and it will just flat out turn on, even though the batteries have been in it for, like, three years. <laughs> like, it'll just work. And it's never had a problem not working. And then this happens. And we're supposed to, as consumers, just be happy with it. Profits over everything else. Like, you take a look at anything, you know, like a Skylander, for example. Like, that's probably not costing them, you know, ten bucks to make. It's probably only costing them about two, maybe three. And they're still charging, like, a decent amount for it. Further, you know, when you look at a Skylander and you think about the NFC chip that's inside it, the NFC chip contains the gold and the upgrades and the level of the character, but the actual coding of the character is in the game itself. It's not on the NFC chip. The NFC chip just says, hey, this person is now switching over to this character, and these are the stats for the character. It's not actually containing the full data of the character. That's just literally locked behind code in the game. Which means that these characters could have been included in the gameplay to begin with, but they chose to make sure that the product was incomplete so that they could profit more off of sales of figures. And that's something that we see them do numerous times. Like, I mean, I believe in the developer interviews for Spire's Adventure, like, one of the people talks about how they were in charge of making Dark Light Crypt. And we know that Dark Light Crypt 
is one of the DLC levels. And, you know, she talks about how from the beginning it was planned to be a DLC level. Like, they always intended it to be a separate figure at a separate price point because, you know, it's something harder to do with the Wii to be able to patch stuff. And so they were like, well, in that case, you know, we're already working with figures anyway. Let's kind of come up with DLC by putting it on an actual figurine. Like, they made a conscious decision about that. The same kind of thing where also in the developer interviews that person's like, Mom, can, can we go to the store? I, I get to some degree that, you know, these are physical figures and they do want to make a profit off of it, but at, at the end of the day, couldn't they have just left it at the eight elements there and just kept that throughout all the games? But of course not, you know, because Activision wants money. That's just what they do, you know? That's why they keep adding in three expansions to Hearthstone every year. That's why they keep adding in characters occasionally to Heroes of the Storm. That's just what Activision Blizzard does, and a lot of companies do. We see Skylanders, you know, as much as I love the figures and, you know, I like having them out on my desk or on my shelf, and, you know, I appreciate the franchise, I really love the franchise, and, you know, I like collecting things from video games to, you know, trading cards to whatever. The thing is, is like, you know, there is a core problem with it and that they do just give you part of the content because they expect you to still pay for it anyway. So, of course, you know, all these companies are doing, you know, pretty shady things oftentimes. And the thing is, is as consumers, you know, we can, you know, try to make a stop to it. Yes, these are pretty big, you know, multi-billion dollar corporations that are in some ways more powerful than governments. The thing is, is, you know, of course, if they stop having consumers pay for something, or if they have consumers start, you know, petitioning for something to be a very certain way, then the companies are going to have to make a change. You know, they might not make the change for the right reasons, sadly. You know, they might not do it because it's necessarily the right thing to do, but they will do it because consumers are voicing their opinions and consumers believe that it's wrong, so companies will have to make that change. And, you know, we do see that happen occasionally. Even in the case of something as simple as Nintendo with uh, the Super Mario 3D All-Stars game, people were so mad that there weren't accessibility options in there when it came to the camera controls, because Nintendo went and uninverted all the cameras uh, in the games, and people just felt really thrown off by it, and, and then there wasn't an option in the games. So people went to Twitter and, you know, complained, as typically what happens on Twitter, you know, and people really, like, were up in arms about this. You know, they made comments about it, you know, on Nintendo's YouTube and Twitter and everything like that, and eventually, a couple months later, they did actually, you know, implement that change. And of course, you know, the argument could be made, like, well, that should have been there in the first place, that's true. Absolutely, but they still were able to get the company to fix it anyway. And, you know, that's that's just kind of the same thing when it comes to no matter what it is. Uh, if it's something that you don't support and you don't believe in, vote with your wallet on it. And hopefully, you know, enough people will also do the same and it'll create some positive change. Absolutely. Kind of like what's happening with Ring of Heroes, actually. Like, Ring of Heroes had that really crazy kind of, like, shard system or whatever it was where you had to get multiple parts of a skylander before you could actually get the skylander and now i mean it's still gotcha based but now you just get the skylander instead of trying to build up to get different like puzzle pieces for the skylander
And there's a whole lot of reason as to why this whole conversation is important. Because, you know, you might just think that, like, oh, well, capitalism isn't, you know, necessarily that bad. Or, you know, it's the best system right now. And, like, a care ethics system, if that's even going to exist, is going to be hundreds of years out. Why is it important for us to even talk about capitalism? Why is it even important for us to kind of criticize it? Well, the thing is, is if we don't criticize it now, we aren't going to have the opportunity to criticize it later. If we don't keep businesses in line, if we don't keep monopolies in check, if we don't point it out whenever they're doing something wrong that's hurting the environment or hurting consumers, then they're just going to take that as the okay to make things worse for the consumer so the company can keep cutting corners and keep making things as profitable as possible for the smallest amount of money. So if we don't keep it in check now, if we don't call them out on it whenever they need to be called out on it, then we are eventually going to enter a brave new world, if you will, where capitalism has run amok, where there are monopolies that we have to buy from because we have no other choice. The idea of even having a care ethic system will be gone. There's a reason why we have dystopian sci-fi. It's not just to have a fun good time with a story. There's a reason why stories like Brave New World exist, why 1984 exists, why there's all these commentaries on what can happen if a particular system gets too much control. It's there to remind us of the danger of what happens if we don't keep systems in check. We need to call companies out whenever they do something wrong, whenever they're doing something not okay. Because if we don't, if we don't keep capitalism in check, then we're not going to be able to eventually use capitalism to get to that Star Trek kind of like utopia at the end. We're not going to be able to do it. And that's why this is important. And that's why this matters. So vote with your wallet. Call out companies. Use the hashtag free melee, all that kind of stuff, because it matters. So after our discussion about paywalls, not only in Skylanders, but in the industry as a whole, it's time for our segment this week of Legendary Treasure Hunt, where we try to find paywalls for the best bargain possible. Welcome to Legendary Paywall Hunt, where we undertake challenges to find specific lots of Skylanders at the best bargain possible. That's right, because they weren't included in the base game on their own. This week's challenge was to find as many creation crystals from Skylanders Imaginators as we could within a $55 budget. Each yes. of our lots will be scored one point per creation crystal, and a half point for every $5 under that $55 mark we are. And as this week's host of Legendary Paywall Hunt, I have the authority to assign one free point for pretty much whatever reason I feel like. So, Inklander, let's begin with your lot. Where did you find it? What do you have? And how much are you forking over for it? For this lot of paywalls, I have seven different creation crystals. I have an air angel, a undead claw, a water rocket, a light fanged, a life acorn, a magic pyramid, and a fire reactor. 
So those are the seven different crystals that I have, and I found this on eBay for $55. So it's right at the price limit. Seven different creation crystals, all of different elements, too. This is actually a pretty good deal because you have found these at an average of $7.85 a piece. Yes. Yeah, it's a really good deal for uh, seven different paywalls here. And you don't have any repeating elements. That's very true. So these are all different. They will allow for you to produce very different, very unique Skylanders from each other. No two can possibly be the same. Now, as for your score, we have here seven different creation crystals for a total of seven points, and you are right there at the price limit, so no additional points there. Your lot totals out at seven points. My lot was found on Mercari, and it is a lot of five creation crystals, I was right on the money this time, for a total of $47. And those crystals are the Fire Reactor, the Light Rune, the Magic Lantern, Earth Rocket, and Fire Acorn. So I do have that repeating element of fire with the Reactor and Acorn sculpts. Now, this is still five creation crystals for less than the original retail value of $10 a piece. So this is also still a really good deal. Not quite as good as Inklanders this week. And my lot scores at five points for five creation crystals and one half point for that initial five dollars i am under the budget so my lot totals out at five and a half points this week meaning that this week inklander is the winner of the legendary paywall hunt imaginators definitely and i don't know why maybe it's the way that um you know the figures were released or maybe they were just releasing less figures overall for imaginators i don't really know why but it just seems like a decent amount of the imaginator figures especially you know the ones that were in Kirstiki temple and lost imaginite mines you know they're just like insanely priced um so here finding these where the creation crystals are not you know at the same price or more expensive than what they were retailed at um this is a really good deal absolutely and on that note I've booked myself a nice fancy vacation aboard the Dread Yacht, and Captain Flynn is here to take my bags. So far, Ditto and I's vacation on the Dread Yacht has been teeming with excitement. It seems like we're headed to our next destination now, and it seems like there's some strange-looking water below, and it seems like the whole place is teeming with glowing mushrooms. It looks like we've landed in Mushroom River. And what a place to spend part of our vacation. It's absolutely teeming with life out here. I've been told a lot of places I've visited in my life don't drink the water. That definitely seems to apply here as well. Yes, because Eruptor is just lava barfing left and right. Mushroom River is a level from Skylanders Imaginators, and while I'm personally not a big fan of the Skylanders Imaginators levels because I just feel like they're maybe a little too lackluster and a little run-of-the-mill, I actually do kind of like what Mushroom River is going for. Uh, I think it's one of the best-looking levels in the game. Also, I do think it kind of feels a little bit more like a traditional Skylanders experience while not almost kind of parodying it like some of the other levels. 
levels like maybe Fizzland kind of feels like it does. There's a lot of different things you can do from bouncing on the mushrooms to be able to get up to a new platform to riding down the river and having to fight enemies to having to kind of have that pipe be a push block puzzle and having to find a way to be able to raise that anchor to be able to continue down the river and then eventually get to that Doomlander fight. There's actually a lot of really cool, really fun elements that kind of flow together, uh, if you will. Pun not intended, but I'll take it. And, you know, it just kind of all works. Uh, it kind of feels like it leads one after the other. And the enemies introduced are a lot of fun. And some of the mechanics are pretty cool here because it just feels like traditional Skylanders gameplay, but done in a kind of interesting way where you're trying to solve these puzzles to be able to just continue to further go down the river. See, I myself, when I go to places like amusement parks, am a huge fan of like the river rafting style attractions. And this level really gave off that kind of vibe for me. It was river rafting, but Skylanders. Yeah. And as you said, everything seemed to flow together perfectly pun intended, and it all felt like one cohesive level. The enemies were fun and creative, especially the splatter pillar. The mechanics behind opening doors and dropping a drawbridge and just guiding your raft down the river while your guide proceeded to barf his guts out, it all felt so nice and refined, and it led to an experience that was actually rather fun. Yeah, I actually really do enjoy this level. It feels like it's a living, breathing environment that they've put you in, in this level. And that's one thing that I do really like about it. And, you know, as Ditto said, the river rafting idea is kind of fun. You know, there's a part where you're trying to ride down the river, collect some coins. There's a part where you're having to jump up on different platforms and fight some enemies. And then there's the whole place where you have to fight some enemies and do some puzzles to be able to get the raft to continue further down the river. And it just kind of feels like they knew what they were doing. They had the idea for this level and it just worked and it felt distinct enough to feel different and not feel like a rehash of another idea they've had but they also made sure to include the typical skylanders elements of you know having the uh battle gates of having push block puzzles and just things like that this level being only the second level in the imaginators game it was so full of life that it's kind of what helped bring this game to life for me I know that it seems like a controversial thing that Imaginators is my favorite game in the series, but this level is part of what made that happen and what made that possible because I base that around my entire experience throughout the game and Mushroom River is a level I return to time and again. Yeah, I mean, me too. Like, if I'm going to be playing through this game kind of casually or maybe to, you know, just farm gold or something like that outside of doing the Battle Brawl Island Battle Arena thing, I'm typically going to be, you know, going to one of the levels that I find least kind of boring. And this is one of those levels. You know, I think that this one does a really good job of setting itself apart from other ideas they've had in this game and in previous Skylanders games. All right, so we've just fought the Brawler Doomland so that brings our time at this vacation spot to an end. Let's go ahead and hop back aboard the Dread Yacht and continue on to the Archean Arena. Now we find ourselves in the Archean Arena, where we pit Skylander against Skylander in a bout of theoretical combat 
because this is what we need to do now because Activision decided to drop the PvP arena from the games because we'll buy it anyway. So Inklander, which paywall have you chosen to champion for you today? So my physical DLC that I have chosen today is Batspin from Skylander's Trap Team. That's a little bit terrifying. <laughs> okay, alright, that's cool. So now I'm curious as to who you have. The physical DLC that I have chosen to champion for me today is none other than Zulu. Oh, okay. Neither of us seems to have anticipated the other Skylander very well. No. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting, because typically I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm not that surprised, but this time I'm very surprised. I am equally surprised that you would choose Batspin of all of all characters. Yeah. By no means a bad character. Why don't you actually detail out for us some of the things that make Batspin Batspin? Absolutely, yeah. So Batspin's an undead ranged Skylander uh, with a max health of 720, critical hit of 56, armor of 29, speed of 45, and luck of 24. Her primary attack is Bat Attack, which deals 127 damage. 51 in bat form uh and then we have bat swarm which deals 51 damage i believe in regular and bat form and then we have go batty which transforms batspin into a bat and gives the bat form kind of differentiation there for the attack stats and go batty deals 76 damage so the two different paths batspin can have is the pet purveyor which gains three pets that stun deflect and deal damage respectively and then the bat betterment causes attack two to gain increased damage and powers pets while attack one shoots three pets, and more pets fly with you in bat form. Holy damage spike, Batman. Batspin seems to be a pretty powerful character, and the thing is, this, this character probably was quite a surprise to Ditto, because I don't really ever play as this character that much, like at all. I, I don't even, like, bring up this character. <laughs> you know, I figured, why not just do something completely different and pick Batspin, which... Terrible, terrible name. I don't know who chose that for, for the, like, Frito-Lay competition, because that was one of the fan-chosen names. And then it's like, Batspin? Who, like, why why Batspin? Because I know the development name was Frightengale, and I definitely prefer that a lot better to Batspin. Such a superior name. Alright, well, don't go underestimating my champion quite yet, though I certainly am at the moment. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Zulu is... Not quite the uh, club-slinging barbarian you would expect him to be looking at his figurine. Zulu is actually a mixed life element character with 870 max HP at level 20, 58 critical hit, 31 armor, 38 speed, and 26 luck. A lot faster than I would have anticipated, once again, looking at his figure. He looks like the stereotypical, like, strong, I'm gonna smash it type of character, and he's definitely not. His attack one is Bird Call, which summons birds to attack nearby enemies. This is also augmented by his Swoopery Loop and Better Beaks abilities, which allow for the birds to attack twice and do increased damage. But before that increased damage, each bird does 21 points of damage per hit. His secondary attack is Wolf Call, which summons a wolf familiar to fight alongside him, dealing 31 points of damage per hit. His attack 3 
is Raging Boar, which allows him to ride around on a wild boar, damaging everything in his wake for 35 points of damage per hit. And there is an area of effect on this. His upgrade paths, the Bucking Boar, allows for Attack 3 to deal more damage, increase armor, and allows Attack 3 to also continue past its original conclusion. And his bottom path is known as the Wild Wolf, which allows Attack 2, his wolf familiar, to deal more damage. It will seek out food for Zulu, and it increases in speed with each landed attack, both by Zulu himself and by the wolf familiar. And I would like to also point out that Zulu's Soul Jam allows him to charge attack 1, his Bird Call, to allow him to summon up to 5 birds, which all swoop down on enemies, hitting, once again because of Swoopery Loop, twice, doing what is described as a devastating amount of damage, which is 36 points of damage per hit. Oh, wow. Uh, meanwhile, Batspin's Soul Gym has something similar where you can charge attack one to launch a giant ball of bats. I will state, well, Batspin's attacks seem to do a lot more damage than Zulu's, Zulu's also, I believe, hit far more frequently, especially the Wolf Call, because it's a minion-style attack, so it summons a familiar to fight alongside you, so that's racking up damage Well, birds are also doing damage, or the boar. That's true. And also, Zulu does have a decent amount more health than Batspin does. I believe the only area where Batspin outshines Zulu stat-wise is speed. My strategy and the way I would defeat Batspin is I'm definitely gonna go with the the bottom path for upgrading my Wolf Call ability, because I don't see myself using the boar too much in the way of facing off against Batspin. I'm gonna wanna focus on getting as much damage as I can, as quickly as I can. So I would call my Wolf Familiar, which would immediately start targeting Batspin, and then I would just start firing off birds as quickly as I can. Well, we're still at a greater distance, I would definitely spend more time charging up the birds, because that's five birds for a total of 10 attacks at 36 points of damage apiece, that damage is going to add up rather quickly. The idea would be to just whittle Batspin down before her slightly more devastating attacks take me out. Meanwhile, for me, I'd probably go with the pet purveyor path and upgrade those bats to get Mr. Dizzy, Blocky, and Bitey. So that way I'm able to send those out and Dizzy's going to help confuse Zulu. Uh, it's going to help block any incoming birds with Mr. Blocky. And then Mr. Bitey is going to deal some extra biting damage. And then furthermore, if I uh, end up going and collecting those bats after they've already bitten Zulu, then I'm going to actually regain some of my HP. See, and I feel that would put us on fairly even ground because my wolf would also be retrieving food for Zulu. That's true. Zulu, he's dealing a decent amount less of attack damage, but also at the same time, Zulu is able to attack a little bit faster. Um, I still think with Batspin having really high attacks, like, you know, 127 damage, 51 damage, like, I do think Batspin is still, even though uh, her attacks are a little bit slower, is still going to be dealing a little bit more damage uh, slightly than Zulu. I don't know, I think Batsman might slightly, slightly have a little bit of an edge here because of the uh, just insane amount of damage that Attack 1 deals. Now, my thoughts on this numerically are Zulu does have a higher crit chance. I feel like those damage numbers, especially in the sheer numbers that they would be coming in, would add up rather quickly. I feel like this would actually be really, really close. The, the scales might be tipped slightly in favor of Batspin, 
but I don't feel like Zulu is going down easy. No. You know, this is not going to be like a 3 out of 5 or 4 out of 5 kind of thing in favor of Batspin. Like, I feel like it'd be like a 6 out of 11 kind of thing in favor of Batspin. I, I do feel as though you are correct on that. It would be it would be insanely close. I mean, that that's what makes these two champions actually really worthy of facing down each other in the arena, is the fact that it, it would be close. So I'm going to have to say congratulations to Inklander for bringing in this week's champion even if it is ever so slightly and that is primarily due to how much damage her bats actually do that brings us to the end of today's episode you'll find our website and our individual channels listed in the description follow our twitter at slportocasters for regular skylanders discussion and imaginator design challenges thank you for listening and in the next episode we'll be discussing potential ideas for a skylanders theme park another way that activision could capitalize off of consumers see you then bye, bye. Don't get sick by drinking the toxic water. You don't want to be like a ruptor. <laughs> the, the, like, slurping there. <laughs> that was very well-timed, yeah. unintentionally. <laughs>